Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of AUSU Open Mic, uh, coming at you from coast to coast to coast and all around the world. Athabasca University Students Union represents students in many countries and certainly from everywhere across Canada. We are the Distance University Students Union representing undergrads here at Athabasca University. Uh, with me today, I have your Vice President External, uh, Karen Fletcher. And joining us is our guest, Rachel Timmermans. She is the Vice President External at the Students Association at Mount Royal University, which is in Calgary, Alberta. But again, not more importantly, but why is she here today? She actually represents you. Uh, she is the chair of the Council of Alberta University Students, or CAUSE, and that's the provincial advocacy group that AUSU is a part of. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me here today, you guys. Oh, not a problem at all. Um, since you're the new person here, Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as you guys heard, I am the vice president external over at the Students Association of Mount Royal University. And this year I was also um, very, very luckily um, elected the chair of the Council of Alberta University Students. Um, aside from that, I have uh, lived in Calgary my whole life. Some people know me for, for often saying it is my favorite city in the world. Um, because I think it has the best average of everything and you can kind of do anything that you want if you set your mind to it here. And also Chinooks um, are amazing. Chinooks are amazing. I do love that winter is never, I don't know, like constant. We always have at least a little bit of a warm up here, which is really, really nice. Aside from that, I'm just finishing up the last little bit of my, my Bachelor of Arts in Policy Studies with a minor in Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And through that degree is kind of how I landed in my position here at the Students Association. It is a very uh, relatable position to my degree, but also I, uh, I really fell in love with politics over the course of, of um, my time here at Mount Royal. And that kind of led me to um, the advocacy world here and, and advocating for students. Oh, cool. What made you fall in love with politics? What really made me fall in love with politics was essentially the idea that you, I don't know, I guess that you can help improve things always. Like it is, it's, it's society coming together to help make things better for each other. But what really made me fall in love with like getting involved and being part of it was, it's back in second year. I, I went to this town hall put on by Mount Royal's MLA and they were just asking for anyone in the community to come by and provide feedback on, on various issues. And there was a number of stations in this like community hall the one that I decided to sit at was um, a world cafe style conversation. So people can come and join and um, kind of shift the way that the conversation is flowing. Mm -hmm. I ended up uh, talking with this older gentleman about um, Alberta's healthcare system. And to try and boil it down, he, he basically had the idea that we were going to be forever stuck with a, an inefficient, um, like bloated, expensive, but ineffective healthcare system um, forever. He essentially thought that we were too far gone. We'd made so many weird, you know, half fixes and ignored other things that we were just going to be stuck. There's no way that anyone could essentially untangle the mess that was our healthcare system. Um, and I, I, you know, I was, I was doe eyed and bushy tailed and, and <laughs> as a second year student thinking like, no, there's no way that we'd we'd be stuck. I'm sure there's some simple solution that we could find. Um, and essentially our, our conversation kept going back and forth, back and forth. And 
he basically said, there's no way that we could find somebody who, who could do this. And I got so frustrated. I, I yelled in the room and I was like, well, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I don't know, like I was, I was really frustrated, but I also kind of felt like inspired because after that I was like, well, like I may not be able to do this now as a second year student, but like, what, maybe. what is, what is the problem with our healthcare system? What's going on there? And so, um, I, for, for quite a while, I still have quite an interest in our healthcare system, but I, I really d- dug deep um, looking at anything I could find as far as information to try and understand what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I, I did not find any one simple solution, but the process of going through everything made me really understand how complex these systems are that we do live in. But I also understood that they, there's so many factors that come into this system that it's not impossible to make a change or to make a difference, but um, you have to understand, you know, which factors um, you're kind of playing at and and which ones you want to use to make a difference. But I found that, you know, anyone can can come in and and take a look at this and provide perspective, try to change the conversation Um, because you might realize something that that hadn't been seen before um, by people in government or anything like that. And I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just the, the possibility that there is there's always going to be something out there that can be um, improved or worked upon or changed and that there will always be people, I think, I, I'll say hopefully there are always people who are um, looking to improve them. Karen, what do you think? Do you think Rachel could change the world? Yes. That's no, fair. Um, I, I think people have a tendency to get caught up on doing nothing because they can't do everything. And I think there are a lot of people like that gentleman that are like, well, it just can't be done. And I think if everyone were to really just work at the problems in front of them, we'd make a lot of progress. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. I don't necessarily need to, to take over and fix absolutely everything, although that would be delightful. But, but just being like, Hey, I've noticed that X is wrong. How do we fix that? Mm -hmm. Um, And those are the things I'm really passionate about those practical solutions to problems. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's fair to say for the entire student movement. Uh, like, obviously, AUSU doesn't work in isolation. Not only do we work mm-hmm. with Rachel, but we work with other student unions from across the country. We, either of you, would you guys say that it's similar in post-secondary in terms of it, it is complicated, but dogged uh, hard work can probably make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe that, for sure. Yeah, I know at AUSU recently, we've seen there are some things that we keep bringing to the senior administration. They're like, hey, this is a problem. And they're like, well, you know, you can't do it because of X, Y, and Z. But other things um, we have seen movement on. Mm-hmm. And so I think as long as we keep working at that, we'll see more and more and more movement. Um, no, sorry, I was going to say, I, I agree. Um, I think that it's easy to get caught up in kind of what you said, like, um, you know, striving for perfection, but mm-hmm. um, because you can't reach that, then you you derail the, the whole project. I think that in post-secondary, we really try to make sure, at least in, in PSE um, advocacy, I think that we try to make sure that we're dealing with tangible solutions or reasonable solutions, but that we also don't get caught up in um, doing things the way we always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really easy trap to fall in, especially in PSC and in various complex systems, because there are so many moving parts that um, it's easy to assume that things exist or processes exist for a reason when sometimes they may have just evolved out of, um, you know, need and then they've never been reviewed. So 
I think it's something that I'm, I'm proud of that students um, and in, in their advocacy help kind of highlight those issues that, that are often forgotten, but have real impacts on students. Mm-hmm. Sometimes advocacy is very visible. It'll be on like, you know, the front steps of your legislature or House of Commons, but sometimes that happens behind closed doors. And I think it'd be fair to say that that the Council of Verde University Students or CAUSE has done both, but a lot of their work tends to be behind closed doors. For those who don't know, what is the Council of Alberta University Students and who's a part of it? So the Council of Alberta University Students is um, a membership-driven organization. So our, our members are made up of um, the six large publicly funded universities in the province of Alberta. Um, and collectively, we work together to advocate to the provincial government on behalf of all of the students that belong to our student associations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of this advocacy, as you mentioned, does happen behind closed doors, whether this is, um, you know, talking to the government about work integrated learning opportunities, um, working to get student representation on the your institution's board of governors Mm -hmm. these are things that that usually don't happen through protest or um big public campaigns but usually just in in sitting down um and talking with the minister or or the staff within the ministry to see um you know what can be done understand the problem and and help the ministry understand how the whatever process or or issue in place um is impacting students um and it we get um, different results depending on, on what the issue is and, and who's in government. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that we, we do a very, very good job um, with our advocacy. And I think that we've been fairly successful um, no matter who, who has been in government. Um, I think we've been able to find wins every year um, either way. This is going to be the weirdest question ever only because, well, two of us at least are politics nerds. And I've 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 known been known to to read a couple of things online. So I'm gonna ask a question. You both will know that I probably know the answer. Who is the government in Alberta right now? Uh, so technically, um, <laughs> the the United Conservative Party right um, holds a majority government in the Alberta legislature. Um, mm-hmm. So our government, I I don't know the entire makeup of cabinet, but that's our, not our what I'm premier, <laughs> Well, you said technically government. Yeah. Um, Fair. I did, I did. And um, what role does the Queen of England play in it? No, I'm kidding. Go on. <laughs> so, so Jason Kenney is our our current premier. He's also the leader of the the United Conservative Party. Right. Um, and then as far as who kind of oversees post-secondary education. Um, Dimitrios Nikolaides is the um, Minister of Advanced Education. So mm-hmm. he is in, in the cabinet. So he's technically part of the, the decision-making part of government. He's one of the MLAs who can really make a difference in, in what um, his his party is, is doing in, in power. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I would, would you say that answered your question? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to um like I, I feel like I could talk about that forever but I think I that you um, could. I'm willing to bet that we could actually make this a 3-hour episode and and do that. Um but we're not going to cuz you and I would be the only people who would listen to that. Karen, why is, is why is cause such a good fit for AUSU? Um partly because it's member driven. Yeah. Um so for those of you who don't know, uh AUSU is the student union for AU, you elect 13 counselors from those counselors, four are elected to work for you full time, um, doing advocacy and 
and standing up for you, a variety of different things. And we sit on the board of cause. So when we are making a decision for like, how do we approach this issue? There's one of us as a voting member that's in that room. Um, we have one sixth of the vote because we're one of six voting members mm-hmm. and we're able to make sure that the the advocacy done really reflects our students. I know AU students are a really diverse bunch um, and AU students are often not what people think of when they think of a university student. Often they think of a 19 year old who's living in res, who doesn't have any kids, isn't married, has never worked full time except for maybe in the summer. And that's not most of our students. And Mm -hmm. so making sure that the people doing advocacy aren't just making assumptions about what a student looks like, but that we have our voice there being like, this is what our students are facing. This is what our students are concerned about. These are the things they're struggling with is really important for an institution that doesn't fit people's stereotypes of what students are. Right. And I think you guys do a really great job of this. And I think um, I actually have a bit of a connection myself. My um, my mom did her nursing degree jointly um, when Mount Royal and Athabasca had a joint program. So she technically graduated um, together from Mount Royal and Athabasca. Um, And yeah, she started her bachelor's at 38 and graduated. And she now has gone on to get her master's and is published. But she wouldn't have been able to do it without Athabasca. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm willing to bet a lot of our students don't necessarily know what how big the impact of government is on their university. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think there's there's gonna be some students who don't know that we're a public institution, may think that it's almost like like a Jeff Bezos side project, which by the way, mm-hmm. Athabasca University students, it is not. We are a public institution, not just paid for mm-hmm. with your tuition dollars, but also public dollars. Mm-hmm. What kinds of decisions does the government of Alberta make that directly impact students? Yeah, so the the government um, deals with how much tuition can increase. Uh-huh. So that's something that students are obviously very concerned about that impacts how much your degree costs. But also things like how much the universities are allowed to put off maintenance so future generations can pay for it. Um, and and what the rules are about tuition. So one of the things we've been discussing is someone made a suggestion that instead of instead of tuition caps being in legislation, they could be moved to something called regulation where the universities could get more exceptions if they needed, you know, to mm-hmm. raise tuition. And that was something that caused folk out of bed. And it's like, that's bad for students. And of course, as students, you don't often hear that because mm-hmm. the things that don't happen don't make interesting news, right? Yeah. Um, so... So preventing close calls like that. Um, Other things are the focus on work integrated learning or co-op terms that's coming up. That's something that the government is trying to encourage universities to do. So it impacts some of the things that the universities are trying to implement on the ground level. Right. Rachel, Mm -hmm. how do you try and influence those decisions? There's a lot of different ways that we can provide influence. Um, I would say the the primary way and the most direct way that we do try to um, provide that influence is by talking directly with the government and often directly with the the Minister of Advanced Education. Um, This is one benefit of working through a a membership-driven organization like we we are, is um, it 
by having such a large body of students that we collectively represent, it makes us a very important stakeholder to the government. And so when we do reach out to to speak out on issues, it gives us a lot more weight um, than if we had all just been advocating on these issues individually, um, mm-hmm. because it kind of shows that that more than just uh, a smaller pocket of students are, are, are dealing with these issues. Um, but I would say, yeah, the most primary way and direct way is going directly to the government. Otherwise, um, in the past, we've also run um, various campaigns to try and gain um, so like um, community recognition of the issue so that we can gain um, other voices in our advocacy. So like mm-hmm. we may run a social media campaign um, in hopes of getting maybe students to send um, letters to the government or things like that, or even just sharing our messaging so that the government sees that people are speaking out about this publicly mm-hmm. um, is, is another common way that we do. Um, try and push some influence in the government. Karen, you're uh, you're currently studying in your house in Ottawa, Ontario, our nation's capital, yep. far away from Alberta. Uh, why do Ontario students and students in every other province other than Alberta, why should they care to some extent what happens in Alberta when it comes to their university? Oh, that's a great question. So um, in Canada, there are certain issues that are federal issues, things that are decided at the national level and certain that are provincial issues. Mm-hmm. Post-secondary education is funded by the province. So even if you live in Ontario or PEI or wherever, um, the, gu- the decisions that the provincial government makes in Alberta impacts what you're going to pay in tuition. It impacts um, some of the rules that your professors are dealing with. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, money is is the number one thing. Yeah. But but there are a bunch of ways in which the Alberta government makes decisions that impact your education. And so, no matter where you are um, in the world, even if you're not in Canada, Alberta's government is really important for AU's the AU student experience. Yeah, I just um, some other things that I think. Are, are important to consider, especially um, not even just in post-secondary, but why you might want to pay attention sometimes to things that are going on in other provinces is the, the precedents that um, can be set by the decisions being made in other provinces. Mm. So this can mm. happen in post-secondary. So um, whether it is, you know, our government just underwent uh, a review of our post-secondary system um, mm-hmm. and the changes that they make can influence the, the changes that are being made in other provinces, such as Ontario, BC, Saskatchewan. Um, there's always the risk of, or opportunity, um, depending on the change, that other jurisdictions um, may want to follow suit w- with what they've seen here in Alberta. We, we've seen this, I think, a little bit with um, restrictions. Al- Alberta completely opened up with its restrictions. And I think by doing that became an example of like, uh, that th- this is something that can be done. And so whether um, it's a positive change or a negative change, having other governments make big changes, I say, definitely opens the doors for other jurisdictions to follow suit. And um, it's something that I-, I would recommend trying to pay attention to for sure. Yeah. I mean, Karen had mentioned money and Rachel, you had brought up this precedence Uh, in Alberta since 2019 to to next year. Probably the government of Alberta has cut around a billion dollars from Alberta's post-secondary education budgets and and programs. Why did they do this, Rachel? Uh, That's a great question, Duncan. (laughs) Um, 
It, it is. It's a very good question, especially because Alberta's post-secondary system in the past was one of the, the better funded in the, the country of Canada. Um, ever since, I'm going to say, mid to late 2000s, um, we really started investing in our post-secondary system here in Alberta. And, and it really showed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, we still we still do to some degree, but um, we, we used to, or we were a very, very well-educated province. And because it has been so well-funded, we've been able to build up a very robust post-secondary system here. So mm-hmm. we have um, quite a few large publicly funded universities, but we also have a very vast system of smaller colleges and polytechnics that help um, really beef up our system. So no matter, for almost no matter what you want to go into, what you want to learn, um, there is an institution here for you. And it's been odd seeing this government uh, handle post-secondary the way it has, because I think that it's kind of been a, a hidden jewel of Alberta that Albertans very, very much value that we have a strong post-secondary system that we have the opportunity to be become well-educated should we so choose. And, and it was reasonably affordable since this government has been elected. Um, I think that there was some misunderstandings on the value of education in Alberta, but also misunderstandings on how our, our post-secondary system has, has kind of built up and developed over the years. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I see these cuts is almost someone coming and joining a, a Jenga game late and not understanding which are the pieces that are really holding this tower up. And they, they thought they were going to come in and win the game by pulling out these pieces. But really what they're doing is ruining and weakening the what was the fundamental structure of the post-secondary system and and they're really putting us at risk for um you know essentially a slight blow of the wind to cause a lot of damage to the system right karen have we seen any of that damage at athabasca university like I, i know athabasca university has certainly seen some cuts from the provincial government as well mm -hmm. we've we've had to raise tuition by by i think 12 percent come september uh, yeah. since the UCP was elected. Have we noticed anything else at Athabasca University suffer as a result of the cuts? Yeah, well, I know students are frequently uh, frustrated about the amount of time it takes to get responses from from their financial aid advisors. Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, the financial aid advisors had 300 cases per advisor, um, 300 students they were managing. And they were saying that that was too many. They now have 600. Oh, no. um, yeah. So that's, if you're wondering, that's why it takes so long to get an answer. And that's something that we have consistently advocated for. Even if there's not a cut, even if they were just not changing anything, inflation means everything is more expensive. So you have less mm-hmm. purchasing power. So yeah, students would really love more, more time with their tutors that costs money, more financial aid advisors that costs money. Um, Those sorts of services don't just happen. Like there are human beings behind the scenes that have like salaries and benefits and, Mm -hmm. and what have you. And if there's a situation that, that there's a frequent problem, often the issue is that we're not able to hire enough staff to deal with that. And so that's something that we've been consistently advocating for Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what, the funding from the government pays for is these people to do the work to make your education go. Hmm. 
Rachel, I, I mean, we had talked briefly about tuition at the at the outset here, but like, I think it's probably the complaint I get most. So I, I'm I'm staff, uh, fellow listeners. Mm-hmm. I I'm I I'm not elected, unlike Rachel and and Karen. I I just do what I can to help them and support them. Um, but I, I do face a lot of the the emails and phone calls from our students, and tuition is always a topic that they bring up. Why is tuition going up in Alberta? I would say plain and simple, tuition is going up in Alberta largely because the like the government of Alberta has cut so much money from um, mostly the Campus Alberta grant, but from universities in general. Um, their operating grants have been cut by millions, and that is really hard to reconcile with. Um, part of like a large part of university budgets um are are salaries and benefits for their staff um mm-hmm. i think it's almost 80 percent in in i'm good in institutions that i'm familiar with yeah. um and so it's really difficult when you experience um a cut of hundreds of millions of dollars like like the u of a has experienced um how do you handle that you still have you know the same number of students that are still registering for classes um you still need to provide supports to those students you still need to clean the classrooms you still need to turn the lights on you still need to do all these things um and you have salaries to pay but now you have hundreds of millions of less dollars to do that so how do you reconcile with that do you you then fire a whole bunch of professors, you know, maybe mm-hmm. really slim down course options or alternatively, do you um, really slim down service options? As Karen mentioned, um, your, your financial aid officers had to take on a, a considerably larger course or um, caseload for, of students. And that that is reduced access to services that students are experiencing. Um, mm-hmm. It can also be seen in, in academic advising and, and other areas like that. Um, but or the other option that that universities have is to raise tuition. Um, yeah. Now, both luckily and unluckily, um, there has been a cap um, put on these tuition increases by the provincial government. So um, when they were elected, they um, allowed universities for three years straight um, to increase tuition by an average of seven percent mm-hmm. each year. And so while I say um, like it was nice, but not nice, it's nice that there's a cap and that we, you know, didn't see further increases across the board. Um, but it was unfortunate that these cuts contributed to the environment that caused the need for increased tuition. Karen, uh, so Rachel had said that there was there was a cap of, of yeah. 7% per year. And I know for, for us, our administration um, did do the full 7% the first year, but this this coming year, starting in September, tuition's only going to go up by 5%. They what? are. We are yeah. the only institution in Alberta that didn't take the full 7 they were allowed. And so, I'm very jealous. <laughs> I know. It's something that we're really proud of as an SU. Um, I know the team last year, um, as well as the team this year, has consistently spoken about financial hardship of students and, mm-hmm. and how this this means that people will go elsewhere or just not come, right? Because if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. Um, and so we're hoping to continue that and we'll see what next year brings. We don't know. Right. What um, either of you, what's tuition going to do after these three years of up to 7%, but only 5% this year at AU? What's going to happen after these three years of 7% increases? It'll be pegged to CPI. So there's something called the Consumer Price Index that measures 
how much on average things get more expensive every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the reason that they match what the tuition can increase to inflation is that you still need to buy the same things. So if, you know, the paper for the university costs, you know, three cents more next year, we need the income to go up by three cents on average so that we can afford the same things year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, theoretically, people's incomes also go up. I know inflation also frequently goes up more than people's income, which is something that we also speak about it. Rachel, why did, why is government funding not pegged to inflation instead? Like it, it seems to me, just listening to you guys, that that would make more sense for for government funding to be consistent rather than kind of have, having these these dips and valleys and then peaks why why is government why does the government of alberta kind of change its mind from from year to year or mandate to mandate um that's a big question um so post secondary funding is actually a very convoluted mess there yeah. are many different grants and pockets of funding that get sent to universities And so, well, I agree, this would have made sense from the outset to have like a set amount that goes to each school, depending on these certain parameters. That's actually not how it works. It doesn't in in some cases with some of these pockets of funding, but in other pockets of funding, they are what we could call like legacy funding. They've been around for a really long time and um, it's hard to kind of reconcile that with the newer institutions that exist and the newer pockets of funding that are now being sent out. And so it's really hard to systematically change how you're funding universities. Mm. And so it's kind of ended up being just a very random, like, all right, we need to cut some money from the budget. Ah, we can look at post-secondary because we know that there's like in some areas, there's different rationale that might be easy to, to kind of skim over. And so I think that it's it's easy to randomly select how you will change um, or cut funding from from grants to universities just because mm-hmm. there's so many different ones that you can pull from. And the, I guess, reasoning behind their existence is, is very hit and miss on, on if it has like data behind it or if it was just a grant that was given, you know, 20 years ago that is still given every year. Right. If that makes sense. It does. Guys, what is, what is cause going to do this coming year kind of to, you know, tackle some of these issues we've touched on as well as, you know, just the, the general representation of our student body to the province of Alberta? What does cause have in the coming year? Well, each year um, we do have a couple of things that we do regularly. So we do have um, a priorities document that we set in place each year, um, which outlines um, the the big, big priorities that we're going to be advocating to the government. Um, Mm -hmm. So in the past, we've seen this as advocacy around Bill 19, um, which was passed under the previous NDP government that that did make some changes to um, university funding and tuition regulation. Um, There there have been changes since then, but that was that was a a big piece of advocacy of cause. there, you know, uh, mental health is often a very common advocacy piece. So we, we have various themes that that um, sometimes they're similar year to year and sometimes they do change. So we have that regular advocacy document that we um, advocate those those issues to the government throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, additional to that, we also submit a budget submission every year. So we do put this together quite a bit in advance. Usually the budget um, 
starts getting really, really getting going um, in, I would say, the winter semester um, mm -hmm. in student terms. But we try to get our budget submission complete um, around the beginning of the fall semester so that we can we know um, exactly what we want to be asking the government of their coming budget so that in any discussions that they're having, any meetings, we can make sure that we're ahead of the game and getting um, essentially our asks in and what we would like to see um, before big decisions are being made by the government and it's too late to have an influence. So those are two big activities that we, we do take part in every year. Mm -hmm. On top of that, um, we're working with our um, operations and public engagement committee mm -hmm. who is helping plan a lot of our advocacy priorities this year or our advocacy plans. So each year we do um, aim to have at least one advocacy campaign. And so this can be a, a social media campaign. It could be um, a letter writing campaign. It could be, um, you may be familiar with our Penguins for PSE campaign last year. Um, and this is where we really latch on to like one big issue for students in a year and, and try to kind of make it our, uh, our, our keystone project, like our, um, our big piece that we work on for the year and that we really try and get movement on um, from the government. And so this, uh, we will likely be seeing closer in the winter semester this year, just given all of the other activities that student leaders are working on in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, but that is it, in the hands of our operations and public engagement committee. Yeah. And that, cool. that is a lot of, of how we, we do external advocacy within cause. Karen, what are you hoping to get out of cause this year? Well, this year, I am the chair of the policy committee. Yeah. And so one of our major goals this year is to create a strategic plan for the organization that looks at where the organization is now and where we want it to be in three years in terms of advocacy and, and what the organization looks like in three years and making sure that all of the members' priorities, including AUSUs, are represented there. So we're talking about what do we want the staff to look like in three years? What do we want advocacy to look like in three years? What do we want to be able to hand to our delegates on their first day in three years? And how do we get from here to there? Because mm -hmm. we want to make sure that this organization continues to grow so it can effectively advocate for AU students at the provincial level and other students. But like as your rep, <laughs> I care about yours um, as the, the chair of the policy committee. I care about ours. Cool. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Um, any last thoughts you want to give our listeners? No, this has been great. Oh, great. Rachel? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I'll say um, we're very lucky to have your VP External Karen as our chair of policy. Um, she's doing amazing work um, and we would be lost without her. Oh, That's so sweet. All right. Uh, this has been another episode of AUSE Open Mic. Uh, thank you, Karen. And thank you, Rachel. And talk to everybody later. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later.